Well, in our last very exciting episode, the wonderful white-winged warriors search for the Hummer, that crown prince of wordless, silly melodies, was thwarted in his chicken cave dressing room. Boy, if you don't think this is embarrassing, Mother... Now, Benton, it could happen to anyone. Superman doesn't have a zipper on the back of his suit. Please don't jiggle. All he has to do is take his regular clothes off. Benton, hold still. His mother lets him wear his crime-fighting suit under his regular clothes. Just a few more seconds and I... Why can't I wear my chicken suit under my regular clothes? No, Benton. Almost all the other big crime fighters do. It's not healthy. Yeah, I'll bet their mothers never say that. Well, maybe their mothers just don't care. Yeah. I do. It's not like sleeping in your underwear, you know. I think I'll just have to try and force it. I mean, I was really embarrassed at the crime fighters convention last year. It's just impossible to budge. I had a room with that silly kid who goes around saying Shazam all the time. Perhaps if I use some chicken fat. Boy, did he laugh when I asked him to help me with a zipper on the no, back of my suit. No, I don't want to waste the chicken fat. I told everybody in the whole convention about it. We'll just take a chance with forcing everybody it. Everybody was walking around laughing at me. Here we go. You're not even listening to me, Mother. Remember, Benton, sticks and stones. Yeah, well, you were never called the zipper kid. Well, that does it. Oh, dear. That does it. I'm sorry. Call the commissioner. Tell him I'm not going. Benton, I wonder, could you... No, I'm not going as a plucked chicken. Well, suppose we look for your old Halloween costume. What costume is that? I think it was a bunny rabbit. No, Mother. It's a very nice... Call the commissioner, Mother. Oh, what if I could fasten it with a great... I'm not going with a safety pin. We can hide it on your feathers. Call the commissioner, Mother. Wait. No, call now. Uncle Bernie's old uniform. What does that look like? It'll be just the thing. And not too much later, somewhere on the streets of Midland City. Uh, pardon me. Uh, yeah? Have you noticed anyone humming around here? Uh, you mean the... <laughs> uh, like that? Uh, yes. No. Hey. Yes. Ain't you one of Roosevelt's Rough Riders? Well... If the fantastic feathered fowl only needs a new improved zipper, could he not just wear Uncle Bernie's uniform into the Midtown Department store, walk up to the zipper department and order one, saying, Charge? Well, in our last very exciting episode, the wonderful white-winged warrior had to abandon his feathered fighter's costume because of a defective zipper in the back of the suit. However, Mildred the Mask Mother came to the rescue with a substitute suit thus permitting the fantastic fowl to begin his search for the Hummer, that crown prince of wordless, silly melodies. Uh, pardon me. Uh, yeah, what is it, Corporal? Uh, have you noticed anyone humming around here? Uh, yeah, try the department store. And with this valuable information, the winged warrior pivots and enters the Midland City department store. You pivot pretty good, soldier. Uh, pardon me. Yeah. Have you noticed anyone humming around here? All deliveries go to the rear of the store. I am the wonderful white-winged warrior, you, you still got to deliver to the back of the store. I'm looking for the Hummer, that crown prince of wordless, silly melodies. Sheet music is on the 24th floor. And the winged warrior again pivots smartly. He pivots pretty good for a delivery boy. And moves directly to the department store elevator. This is an elevator. People in this store who are going to go buy something may go up or down in this elevator without charge or obligation. Uh, third floor, please. Are you going to buy something? Uh, no, you see I'm looking for the uh, Hummer. And, well, uh... if you're just going to look, take the steps. Oh, okay. And so the winged warrior does this immediately. I'm not running a sightseeing service. And much later. Oh. Uh, 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 uh. 
pardon me. Yes? Is this the uh, 24th floor? No. What floor is this? It's the 37th floor. Oh, thank you. Hey. Yeah? Ain't you a bus driver? No. I'm the wonderful white-winged warrior. Because I thought I was going to say you pivot pretty sloppy for a soldier. Yes. 37th floor, huh? Too bad you're not a soldier. Why? Service men ride free on the elevators. Uh, Wow. Is the Hummer on the 24th floor at this very moment close to unsuspecting consumers? And another thing. Does Uncle Bernie know about those free elevator rides? No. You're going to bang your gong? Not today. No. You're not going to bang your gong? It's the imaginary gong. Okay. Let's go for the imaginary gong show. You have to have a very long arm and a very open mind. Okay. Greetings, radio listeners. You just heard Chicken Man, number 31. Climbing up the numbers for episodes there. And now it's our turn. It's the Oob. Radio Salon. And we will be with you for two hours, performing live experimental frequencies. And you have the beige catty earthen strew. <laughs> we are what? going to bring you some drones, some textural manipulations, and Maybe some chill. You might nod off. We might nod off with you. I certainly did earlier. Thank you, Dread Rat. Dread Rat has a show every Sunday before ours. It happens two hours beforehand. And he plays some very interesting, shamanic, trancy, deep rhythms and theremin. And I highly urge you. It's called Birds of a Feather only live on DFM, so check it out. I was out in the backyard doing some yoga, and the next thing I knew, I was out like a light. Well, tonight, it is our 753rd live show, and we are broadcasting on DFM Radio. That's dfm.nu. And you can also join us on the live chat. All the links are at DFM's front door, even Discord, so you can join us whatever way you'd like. And as I said, it is just the big city orchestra today. No guests. We had a wonderful show last week with some guests. We had Usufrucht joining us with live ambience from outdoors in Oakland. And we're going to do that again next month with two new people joining us. We're going to have Dread Rat from the Netherlands and Eos Crowley from somewhere deep in the mountains. I have to get his location, but tune in next month for that outside my bedroom window. And now we begin our scheduled broadcast.
of the circus. For Jerry of the Circus. Step right in, folks. The next show's about to begin. Only 25 cents, folks. Think of that. One quarter of a dollar to see Belko, the world's strongest man. A 20th century Goliath. Don't push, folks. There's room for Boy, everybody. Well, Belko sure is strong, isn't he? Well, now, Jerry, it looks to me as if Randall's picked a pretty good substitute for the bearded lady. I'll say. Imagine lifting those weights like that. Say, did you see how his muscles stood out? Well, he certainly is a marvelous physical specimen. <laughs> and does he know it? Don't know as I've ever come across a sideshow performer as proud of himself as this Belko. <laughs> he did seem to be kind of puffed up like. I'm not talking about his muscles either. <laughs> hey, Rags, come here. Stay with us. That's right. I'll stay right here. You and Bumps and I got to get dressed pretty soon. <laughs> I tell you, Jerry, that dog of yours is like a racehorse. He's always ready to go. Bumps? Yeah? Did you notice anything funny about the Major this afternoon? No, can't see as I did, Jerry. I don't know, but it seems to me he was awful glum. You know how cocky he usually is. Kids at Towners and everything. Hey, come to think of it, the Major was kind of quiet. Yeah, he hardly had a word to say. <laughs> well, he didn't get a chance. Belko was so busy telling the crowd how strong he is, he, he wouldn't even let the spieler finish. <laughs> Guess he's kind of stealing the Major's stuff. Knowing the Major, I'll bet he'll be beefing the Mr. Handel. Yeah, the poor Major. He no sooner gets rid of the bearded lady than another Amazon comes along to plague him. Amazon? Well, sure, a giant. That's why Belko's put on the stand next to the Major. It makes the Major look smaller and Belko more like a giant. Oh, Ah, oh, gee, Bumps, I sure love this midway. Seems like I never see it anymore. Yeah, of course not. You're getting to be too important to the show. What you mean? Well, the more you got to do around the circus, the less time you have to see much of it. <laughs> That's right. Well, I was rehearsing with El Mundo. I didn't get a chance to do anything but eat and sleep and rehearse. And, well, of course, I had to help Whitey in between. <laughs> I guess you kind of wished you were twins now and then, huh? <laughs> I'll say. I'll tell you what, Jerry. Someday maybe we'll just be audience. We'll come in like the rest of the folks and buy our own tickets and see the show from beginning to end. <laughs> you think you'd like that? And miss being in it? 
I should say not. Well, now you're kind of hard to please. Oh, huh? quit kidding, Bump. You feel the same as me. <laughs> of course I do. Hey, Bump. <laughs> what is it, Jerry? Did you find out why we didn't get paid this morning? Uh, no, no. I haven't seen Mr. Randall or Bennett all day. Kind of funny, isn't it? Oh, guess it's not worth worrying about. Of course, we usually get paid in the morning, You but... think we will get paid, don't you? Well, the sign said we'd be paid after the matinee, didn't it? Sure, but... Well, it's kind of funny. Well, if Mr. Randall had to put off the time for paying us, way, well, he had some good reason. Yeah, of course I know that well as anyone. I'm just worried for fear something happened to him. Say, you don't think I'm complaining, do you? Oh, no, that wouldn't be like you, Jerry. <laughs> Guess Rags and me'd go without our salary altogether if it helped Mr. Randall any. Uh, I'm sure you would, Jerry. Rags! Say, Rags, come here. Well, it's gotten into that dog. You better get him, Jerry. I'll head on over to the wagon. Okay, Bumps. I'll get Rags and meet you there. Rags! Rags! You bad dog, you... Spike! Well, I'll be danged if it ain't Jerry. Spike, where on earth did you come from? Why, why Spike, I, I thought you were still in... Well, in... Jail? Oh, I guess you haven't been following the papers much, Jerry. I got out last week. Oh, Spike, I'm so glad. Gee whiz, I, I just can't believe it's really you. Well, Rag seems to know me all right. <laughs> I'll say, uh, how long you been here anyhow? Just get here? No. Believe it or not, I joined the circus in Fordham. Fordham? We just left there last night. Sure thing. I joined up with the outfit the day of the big handicap race. Yesterday. You did? I sure did. I asked around for you, but you were so all fired busy with winning the race for that fire horse. (laughs) You mean you heard about that? I sure did. I was busting with pride to think you were a friend of mine, too. Honest, I I just can't get used to your being back with the circus. Me neither. But, Jerry, I've been wanting to tell you how grateful I am to you for finding all that out of Pot Flat, you know. Oh, that was nothing. Oh, nothing. It made all the difference getting out of jail. Imagine you... You might have been in jail for years, and it, it wasn't your fault at all. It, it seems awful. Yeah, I know. I used to be pretty bitter about it, but, well, I'm not anymore. Did they send Platt to prison? I I guess I've been too busy with horse racing to notice the papers much. Yeah, you got 20 years. Say, that's fierce. But he sure deserved it. Well, I, I don't feel so sorry for him, seeing as how he was willing to let an innocent man take his punishment. I should say not. <laughs> oh, so you want some attention, too, huh? I wonder what time it is. Seems like the midway back there was kind of quieted down. Oh, it gets about ten minutes before show. What? Oh, boy, I, I gotta beat it. See you later, Spike. Rags and me are both performers now, and I gotta make up. So long. All right, step on it, kid. I'll be seeing you. Yeah, and you don't know how glad I am you're back. Goodbye. Come on, Rags, we gotta run. <laughs> you sure got a good memory, Rags, remembering Spike like that. And spotting him in all that crowd, too. Sure, I'm proud of you. Yes, I know a good dog when I see one. Well, there's the wagon. Bumps will think we're lost, you're not. Hey, Bumps, Jim Bennett and I had to check up. Sorry, I'm late. Oh, am I interrupting? Oh, no, no, of course not, Jerry. Come on in, get to work. Well, Jerry, you're getting to be an old-timer when you can jump into your makeup at a moment's notice. Yes, sir. I didn't mean to be so late, though, Mr. Randall, but Rags here... Uh, was... Jerry, I want to finish telling Bump something. Of course, I wouldn't want, uh, want it to go any further. You want me to go out? Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm sure I can trust you not to say anything. I'm explaining to Bumps why I had to put off paying salaries until after the matinee. Oh. Now, you say this letter came from the authorities in Fort. Yeah, huh? special delivery. Got here in Evansville as soon as we did. But, of course, getting the circus up, we didn't have enough time to check the money. Mm-hmm. Imagine $700 lost in one day. Sounds like a lot of money. It is, and phony at that. What do you mean, phony? Well, it seems that a lot of counterfeit money was passed in Fordham at the fair. 
All during the week, the authorities found it trickling in. At the last day of the fair, over $700 of counterfeit currency was taken into the fairgrounds alone. Say, that's awful. They must have made a cleaning in for them. What with a circus and a fair going on all at the same time. Yeah. Have they found the guilty people yet? No, no, not yet. Did you get some of the counterfeit money, too, Mr. Randall? Well, that's what the Fordham authorities wanted to know in the telegram. Uh, how about it, Sam? Well, of course, we banked our money every night. Strange as it may seem, only a couple of counterfeit tens got by Bennett. He's pretty quick and not easy to fool. But you see, the, the last day's intake, I didn't bank, seeing as we pay off today. Mm-hmm. We just held the cash over for today's payroll. And so you didn't know until this morning when you checked with the bank whether you'd gotten caught, huh? mm-hmm. That's it. What about it, Mr. Randall? Are you all right? Yes, Jerry, luckily I am. A few bad tens trickled in, but considering that the, what the Fordham folks lost, we got off pretty lucky. I'm sure glad of that. Mm, so am I. Everyone will get their salary today without more delay. Well, see, I, I wasn't thinking about us. Oh, I know, Jerry, but... Now, remember, not a word of this to anyone. No use letting a thing like this get around in the circus. <laughs> I should say not. By dinner time, the story had grown so we'd never recognize it. And all the folks would be scared to death. Yeah, well, as long as everybody's happy, there's no use upsetting them about things. It's my job to keep everything going as smoothly as possible. <laughs> well, Rags, you hear that? Of course he does. Rags knows all his cues. Come on, fella. We got work to do in the parade. That's right. Well, we'll have to call you to Bumps Incorporated. <laughs> Say, I got an idea, Sam. Uh, what is it, Bumps? I'm thinking of training Rags in a bullfight act. Uh, will you let us perform in the ring if Rags can do it? Oh, you mean the act your dad did for years? Yeah, the same. Uh-huh. And Granddad did it before him. Used to do it in the arenas in Spain between the bullfights. What's that? Uh, you tell Jerry, Mr. Randall. Rags and I got a turn to do it. Well, so long. So long. What kind of an act is he talking about, Mr. Randall? Well, it's an old act. Been done for generations. That's one thing about circus acts. They get so famous, they're handed down from father to son again and again. Can't outsiders copy them? Oh, yes, but they can't use the original names, and you don't often find them stealing star turns. The name goes with the act, huh? That's it, Jerry. If for some reason someone sells his act to others, the name goes with the turn. Oh, I see. If some other tightrope walkers wanted to do the stunts the Bendinis do, and the Bendinis were willing to sell out, these new people could call themselves the famous Bendini wirewalkers, huh? Exactly. Instead of handing down money, circus folks hand down all the things they learned in the business to their children, huh? It's the same idea. Star turns that have become famous all over the world are worth a lot of money to the performer. Well, I should think so. But what is this bullfight act Bumps wants to teach rags? Well, it's a grand turn, all right. A dog is dressed up like a bull with a fake head and horns and things. <laughs> I can just imagine Rags with a lot of stuff over his head. <laughs> He'd have a fit. Well, it's surprising how soon they get used to it. Then the clown pretends to be a matador and waves a red blanket in front of the dog. Just like they do at real bullfights, huh? Yeah, the same thing. Only they put in a lot of comedy. And the act ends up with a bull chasing the clown out of the ring. <laughs> oh, that's well. I, I can just imagine how silly a clown would look afraid of a tiny bull no bigger than Rags. <laughs> Well, I guess I better get going. How's your old neck coming on, Jerry? Oh, you mean with El Mundo? Mm-hmm. Say, it's going slick. We're great friends now. He'll let me do almost anything with him. Well, how's your Spanish? Oh, muy bueno. <laughs> that means very good. It's got to be if I want that Spanish elephant to do what I tell him. Yeah, it's quite a lesson you learned that day you ran away with you, and no one knew the Spanish word for stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say. Oh, say, before you go, Mr. Randall, yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, I saw Spike on the lot. Oh, that's right. Spike's been a protege of yours, hasn't he? Well, I got him his job with the circus, if that's what you mean. Mm-hmm. Naturally, I feel kind of, well, kind of... Responsible? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It sure was swell of you to hire him back again. Well, he's a good worker. The circus needs men like him. Yeah, but he's been in jail. Well, I know, but you helped prove his innocence, and I'm a pretty good judge of men. I think we can trust him all right. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I'd like to. I'd like to give worthy men a chance to make good... It's always hard for an ex-convict, guilty or not, to get a job. Why is that, Mr. Randall? Well, you see, son, people think that 
Even if they're honest when they go to prison, that association with other prisoners is likely to make them go wrong when they get out again. I'd stake my salary and, and rags, too, on Spike. <laughs> I can see Spike's got a good booster, all right. Well, we're pretty lucky to have salaries today with all that bad money passed around in Fordham. Seems kind of funny that more didn't come into the circus. Yeah, it's come to think of it, it is. Uh, however, criminals know that circus ticket sellers are pretty smart. They think they have a better chance to fool the towners, huh? Yeah, that's about it. Say, the parade's over. I- I'd better get into my costume. Yeah, you certainly had. I'd hate to have to fire you. I'll say, you, you wouldn't do that. Well, I'd fire anyone who didn't do his work properly. Even if the boss himself kept them talking so they forgot? I sure would. Like I said, I'd fire the boss, too, in a case like that. <laughs> well, I'll beat it then. I, it'd sure be tough for you, us if you got fired. <laughs> Bye, Mr. Randall. Yes, so long, Jerry. Knock him dead, boy. <laughs> So I won't. <laughs> no time to say too much. So I won't. And I still won't. And I still won't. Welcome back, radio listeners. We are zooming into hour two of the OOB Radio Salon on DFM Radio. 753rd show. The Memory Garden. Yes, summer approaches. And there was all kinds of things to celebrate today. We couldn't pick just one. So we thought we would just have a memory garden and be chill and coast for a while and see what pops up. It's kind of nice to not think too hard. And in the intermission, of course, Jerry of the Circus. Spike rejoins the circus. Yep, we're up to episode 82 of Jerry. have more of that to come. 
All right. We are broadcasting still on DFM Radio Television International. And you can still jump onto the chat if you wish. DFM.nu has all the links. And we have archives available of every show, podcasts, and every flavor that we can find that didn't make us completely sick to our stomachs. Although we did get yelled at recently because we have Amazon Music, but, well, we'll see how long that lasts. We have them or they have us. (laughs) They lassoed us for free. I got that word free. It just was dangled. I like to dangle the word free. Dangle, dingle. So they're marketing us somehow. Dingle your jingles. They're not getting us. They're never getting us. Okay. I've never really got us either. Well, we had fun last night. Last night was not a radio night. It was for others. And we did listen. Thanks to Yeno for a wonderful void, a pirate void session. It was piratey for us. We were listening. We went and drove over to the naval base over in Alameda where we live. And we did find, like, the most perfect spot to listen to the void. Right next to that big aircraft carrier and facing right at the uh, city. And nobody was around. And we were dancing like mad fools and filming the sunset. And I thought, well, maybe. These lovely reflections of the light bouncing. From the blue of the water to the gold on the side of the ships. So we were there for a couple hours. It was great. The music was great. Music is always great on Noise from the Void. Not a DFM show, but yes, a cohort. (laughs) A colleague. A netweb. Yes, you can find every Saturday Noise from the Void on Mixler. So check it out. It's always good. And I hear that there will be a special upcoming on this Tuesday. Right before our Radio Trouble show, there will be another a Summer Solstice Void. So you can find out more about that. Mixler.com slash Void. All right. And now, heading back into more live experimental frequencies with Ube Radio Salon.
other basis of my metaphysics was that we tend to ignore the polarity of the world. That is to say, uh, to use a simpler word, the go-withness of things and events. That just as in a series of waves, to have a complete wave, you must have both a crest and a trough. You can't have a half wave. Half waves are never manifested in this cosmos. Just as you must have the crest and the trough, so also there is a go-withness of subject and object, self and other, and of course those great fundamental physical polarities, being and non-being, solid and space, light and darkness, life and death. But when this is not perceived, when we are not aware of the total unity of the world, of the fact that one's actual self is not something in the world separate from it, but the whole works. And when you are not aware that self and other go together, inside and outside, in such a way as to constitute one total body, then because of this feeling of separation, of not really belonging, we feel alienated from our total environment and from other people, and so act towards it in a predominantly hostile way. Now during the question period, there arose some discussion of the purpose of this universe, and I think I stirred up a little bit of trouble by suggesting that I didn't think it had a purpose in the ordinary sense of the word purpose. That is to say, action directed towards a future, striving for a goal. I felt rather that the design of the world was playful as distinct from purpose. And furthermore, therefore, that itself, existence, is not fundamentally and finally serious. Of course, you see, if you think, if you really believe that you are this lonely little separate being, confronted by a world that uh, doesn't give a damn about you, and is mostly hostile, then it is pretty serious. You're in a trap. But one might ask in conventional Christian terms, if there is a God, is God serious? And one would say, I hope not. Because, let's look at this word, serious. If some attractive young woman says to me, I love you, Ought I to come back to her and say, are you serious or are you just playing with me? I don't think I should ask that because I hope she isn't serious and that she will play with me. (laughs) 
really go for serious girls. <laughs> so I should ask instead, are you sincere or are you just toying with me? And you see, that gives an entirely different uh, meaning. Because seriousness is a kind of gravity, and a gravity is a kind of weight. Now that which is heavy is a drag, it sinks. And G.K. Chesterton once very rightly said, not only that there was more affinity between cosmic and comic than the mere similarity of the words, but also that angels fly because they take themselves lightly. And if this were true of the angels, how much more would it be true of the Lord of the angels? In other words, you could say in mythological language that the most serious being in the world would be the devil, inflamed with hatred and malice against the cosmos, whereas the most non-serious being be God, because uh, he would be supreme lightness, spirit, levity, and indeed Dante intimates this when he describes the song of the angels as the laughter of the universe. You know what those angels do, singing alleluia, alleluia, alleluia? What do you think that is? That's nonsense. When I was, for a while, a minister, uh, <laughs> I used to tell the students, I was a university chaplain, and I used to tell the students that we were going to have a celebration of the Holy Communion on Sunday at 11 o'clock, and I mean celebration, I said. Don't come here out of a sense of duty. If you do, you're a skeleton at the feast. You'd better stay in bed or go for a swim or something. Because here, in celebrating the divine mysteries, we are going to join the angels in making celestial whooping. But you see, our tradition has in its background the idea that God is really rather grim. And I, you must, so many of you have picked this up as children. Children are very sensitive to what I call the aesthetics of religion. And the aesthetics of religion is very much overlooked by religious people. In the um, WASP culture, uh, we have a positive genius for spiritual ugliness. I think of, uh, why do we bind our Bibles in black? Why do clergymen go around in black? Why do we have that ghastly kind of sickly yellow stained glass in church buildings, especially Protestant ones? Uh, there's something about it, and then too, uh, in the pulpit, there's a certain, a certain kind of funny solemnity that goes with preaching. And children immediately detect that there's something phony about it. 
is uh, that why does that man put on a special voice which isn't like the ordinary voice people talk with? I know, of course, it was the result of the fact long ago that there were no public address systems and one had to boom to be heard in a large building. But there it is, there is this feeling, this flavor. I would almost call it, as they say in Zen Buddhism, you know, a person who has too much Zen and who's what we would call got a kind of religious mania. They say he has Zen stink. And so one can have religious stink. And it is this kind of strange solemnity, as if uh, God were always taking the attitude of, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. So, because of the influence of these images upon our thinking, and you know, images have an extraordinarily powerful influence on us. They are much more powerful than logical ideas. You can firmly believe with Paul Tillich that God is simply the ground of being, or with St. Thomas Aquinas that he is necessary being, or with F.S.C. Northrop that he is the undifferentiated aesthetic continuum. But those images that influenced you in childhood remain, as it were, in the very roots of your thinking, at the bottom of your heart, and pull those heartstrings very strongly, even though you may have outgrown them intellectually. So I am for a serious revision of the image of God. I think that's very, very important, and that uh, we exercise this grim Lord of the universe, who is kind, yes, loving, yes, just, yes, but sovereign, serious. And so, of course, uh, the attitude of the minister is so often to the young. Now, boys, quit horsing around. You and I have got to get together for a very serious talk. Well, now, as I indicated, we use the word game, play, in different ways. We can use it to mean what is only trivial. Play as distinguished from work. And in our culture, we make a very firm differentiation between play and work. If I, you know, I didn't enjoy my work so much that I'm accused very often of not doing any. You know, you write books, and you give lectures, and you read, and all that kind of thing, and uh, that's, that's not really work. It would be if you didn't like it. <laughs> but the assumption is, you see, I, when I want to get away with something and say, well, I have some work to do, that means, well, of course, you're excused, you can go, because it is important that you work. But if I said, well, I have some very important play to do, it, it wouldn't quite go over, you see. But the idea is, you see, that uh, you work, and although that's the serious part of life, the objective of it is to get enough money so as to be able to play. And nobody really does, because uh, 
Most people I know, they make lots of money. But when they get home, they don't really play. They're either too tired or they watch television. And that's not really play. That's kind of unparticipated uh, dope addiction. And, but the other thing is that the reason why we don't play is that we believe playing, we, we can do it just so long as it's good for us. In other words, play is called recreation. That is to say, what gets you in a fitter condition to go back to work. Work is the objective. So we excuse play and culture and all that kind of thing in that it uh, relaxes us and makes us stronger so that we can be more productive. Do you see, if you play in order to do better work, you're not really playing. Because play is the kind of activity which does not have an ulterior motive. It is the kind of activity that is done for its own sake. And according to St. Thomas Aquinas, this is peculiarly characteristic of God. Because he says, uh, quoting the book of Proverbs, where the wisdom of God is personalized and speaks and says that uh, her function is always to pray in the presence of the Most High. Uh, unfortunately, the King James, which is a very dignified translation of the Bible, says rejoice, but the Hebrew says play. And so he said that this uh, was a divine activity because whereas work is done for something uh, to serve some purpose, he who is all perfection has no purpose. There is nothing he needs. He, he doesn't need to do any work. Therefore, the activity of God is supremely playful. So in this way, one might say that the most important thing in human life for one's sanity is to be able to be playful or to be able to do things which are sublimely useless. Where, you see, there is no room in our lives for the useless and for the purposeless in the sense of the word, we are in serious danger of going completely crazy. That was the original idea of Sunday. The, the useless day. The day that was time out day when you weren't supposed to do anything serious. It was holiday, holy day. But instead, uh, Sunday has been perverted. And instead of being really time out, it becomes time instead for recreation, so that you'll go back stronger Monday morning, and for laying it on thick in the way of rationality and lectures on the good life. <laughs> So you see there's a little paradox here. It is absolutely necessary for our sanity that we should play and that we should be useless, be preoccupied with useless things from time to time. But we don't do it if we do it because it's good for us. 
So in the mood of play, one has to get uh, one's mind completely away from the future and the purposes of the future and get into what I would call a musical mood. Because music is supremely playful in that it doesn't strive for goals. It fulfills itself at every moment of its unfolding, even though it has a design, it has patterns, it has uh, movements as with a symphony, it has progressions as with the working out pattern of a fugue. But always the point of music is to be with it as it unfolds. Because if you aren't, you miss the melody, you don't hear it at all. So then, I would look upon this world as a musical phenomenon, as a game, which is a kind of sublime nonsense, just as when uh, Bach uh, writes a line of melody, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't tell you anything, it doesn't try to imitate the uh, thundering of horses' hooves, or the sound of streams, or factory whistles, and the uprising of the workers, or anything like that. It has no social message. It's pure play with sound. And for this reason, among others, it's blind. So then, that our whole cosmos is a colossal effusion of splendid nonsense. And you can see every form of life, insects, rabbits, giraffes, elephants, people, bees, flowers, everything, as different kinds of music same way as you get waltzes, mazurkas, charlestons, swing, uh, every kind of musical form or dance form. So in the way they, those dances differ, so in the same way all species of life differ. They are different tunes, different dances. And the importance of them is not to get somewhere, because the only place you can get if you're, if you're going to go somewhere in time is kind of a reproductive vicious circle. We live to have children who all get put in boxes and come out just the same. And they're going to put their children in boxes and so on and so on and so on. Uh, well, we are just nothing but a lot of tubes. A swallowing food which goes in at one end and out the other and that wears the tube out. And then, but the whole thing is to keep it going by manufacturing new tubes by reproduction. And they'll do the same thing, and so on, and so on. But so long you see, as they're all thinking, that the point of doing this is that sometime, somehow, something's going to turn up. They'll always miss the point. They will always be there rather than here. It's very funny to come to California, you know, when you live elsewhere, and it's been an ideal, and suddenly you wake up and you realize you're, you're there. 
Now this is where one must consider game theory in relation to events. What are the characteristics of a workable game, a viable game as biologists The game that is workable now. First of all, the game must involve optimal combination of skill and chance, or we might say order and randomness. Where a game is pure chance, it loses interest. Let's just think of tossing coins. we're finishing up here well thank you for listening everyone this has been Oob Radio Salon number 753 the memory garden hope you had some time to chill it's always good to do and you can join us here every week on TFM check the broadcast schedule and have a look at what's coming up in your time zone Lots of good shows, 24-7. And if you can, make a donation. Support this fine net station. 
and get on the chat and introduce yourselves. Get on the Discord and stay on the Discord. All right. Well, we'll have the archive posted soon and have a wonderful rest of your day, your morning, your evening, whatever time zone. And we'll see you next time for the fourth Sunday players joining us with another radio play in space. Univac and Austin Rich will be back next Sunday with us. Stay tuned. <laughs>